I'm so glad to be with all of you this morning. Welcome in Jesus' name to our church house today as we worship the Lord. Great crowd and great spirit in this place for which we're grateful. Happy Valentine's Day. Still trying to figure out what Kevin was talking about a while ago, but uh, he'll, he'll explain it to me tomorrow for those of us that are slower than others. But I'm so glad you're here today. Dale and I went up and did a wedding yesterday. That was a, an experience, an adventure. I'm just going to tell you that. Uh, sweet young couple that were here a few weeks ago. Um, she's from Germany. Her father is a Mennonite pastor friend of mine in Germany. Anyway, they got married and wanted me to do it. So, But she uh, wanted to get married on a mountain. So uh, it was raining yesterday in all the mountains. and So we did a wedding in the rain cold rain uh, on the mountain uh, three hours north of here on that mountain and it was an adventure and it was wonderful wasn't it Dale yes hallelujah because we had to hike hike up to the mountain once we got to the mountain and you ought to see a wedding party suit ties the whole deal wedding dress everything hiking up the side of a mountain to get to the overlook and the hikers are coming back down looking at us like we had truly lost our minds and I me being me I spoke to a number of them and said yes we're crazy yes we're crazy yes we're crazy you can go ahead and look at us like that it's valid you know I mean it's cold and in the rain and on the mountain but it's it's valid anyway stay with us stay with us all right I want to begin now let's switch our thoughts back to seriousness okay stay with me all right Louis Pasteur Born in 1822, died 1895 in France, France, was what uh, we are called the father of modern immunology. He was a microbiologist, chemist, and he really was the father of what has become known as vaccinations today. Oh boy, a lot of issues about that, aren't there? But Louis Pasteur was really the one who discovered much that we know today or think we know today. Pasteur lived in a time in France when thousands of people died every year from a terrible disease called rabies. Bitten by a rabid animal, dog or other animal, people, the fatality rate is 100% or close to it without treatment. And so it was a terrible way to die. It was a terrible disease Louis Pasteur developed what he thought was the correct vaccine for rabies. And then, and even up until fairly recently, if one is bitten by a rabid animal, one had, in those days, take 10 shots. Not going to tell you where because it was painful, but now it's not that way anymore. But Pasteur thought he had developed what he thought would cure rabies. He was about to inoculate himself. I don't know if he was going to be bitten by a rabid animal or just inoculate himself with the rabies germ. I don't know. But he was about to do it when a mother came to him, desperate. Her son, Jacob Meister, had been bitten by a rabid dog. And so she knew her son would die. She begged Pasteur, please vaccinate 
my son. Please try it out on my boy. He was nervous about it, but he went ahead. Well, Jacob Meister lived. Jacob Meister got over the disease and was okay for many, many years afterward. But when Pasteur died in 1895, when asked previous what he would like put on his tombstone, he wanted only three words. Jacob Meister lived. And that is on his tombstone to this day. Jacob Meister lived. Now what a legacy Pasteur leaves behind. What legacy will we leave behind? I shudder to think of it sometime. But what legacy will we leave behind? What will be said about us when we pass? What will go on to our tombstone? What will be said of churches after their time is gone? Because churches go through life cycles like people. Some live, some grow, some die. What will be said about Pebble Creek Baptist Church? Some people love to talk about how good looking our church house is now. I had lunch with a pastor, a new pastor in the area. And that's all he wanted to talk about. He said, man, that looks so good, what you've done, those new windows, that new whatever. Do you think it's going to matter in eternity what color we painted our church house? Not one bit. Some people like to talk about church growth, what's happened here. People that write history books, particularly about churches, talk about the number of buildings they built and the number of people they brought in and people talk about them how God has blessed us financially do you think that's going to matter in eternity not one not one bit not one bit but what do you think will matter in eternity as a legacy for this church I believe it will be the number of families that got rescued the number of children that heard the gospel and were protected and loved. The number of lost men and women, boys and girls, that heard the gospel and received the gospel. That's what matters, isn't it? I mean, in the long term, isn't that what matters? So when people start talking about the beautiful building, say, well, thank you, but that's not what really matters. Well, thank you, yeah, God's blessed us financially, but... That's not really what matters. What will be our legacy? But the reason many churches are not known for the number of people they've won to Christ is because they're known most for their trouble. Paul deals with it in our passage today of Philippians that many churches are not winning people to Christ because they're too busy fighting among themselves. Now let me tell you, we're not where we need to be evangelistically. And I've talked to you about it, and I'm going to talk to you about it again and again until I am blue in the face. Our main goal is to win lost men, women, boys, and girls to Christ. Everything else was done just to help that. But let me tell you, I'm not ashamed to tell you the number one mission of this church 
is going to be to win men, women, boys, and girls to Christ. But many churches have to say, well, they're known best not for the great eruptions of Holy Ghost revival and evangelism, but for the great disruptions of their past. I will tell you that Satan is immensely pleased and giggles with glee when churches sit back and talk about the great problems they've had in the past. When his victory is recited over and over and over in a life or in a church, in a family, it does nothing but make the evil one happy. Philippians 2 tells us what God wants. Philippians 2 tells us where we need to be. Philippians 2 expresses the desire of the Lord and expresses the desire of the Apostle Paul. It's a powerful and precious passage. My favorite verse in all the Bible, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. Yep, go ahead with me and turn there. Now let me just stop before I even read the first Paul might have begun, he didn't, under the leadership of the Lord, so he did right. But he might have begun with Jesus' words that a house divided against itself cannot stand. Because Jesus had as his deep priority that we would be unified for the sake of the gospel. Paul believes the same. Look at verse 1, chapter 2. Philippians 2, verse 1. If there is any encouragement in Christ. Do you think he's speaking if as in doubt? No. If as in in view of. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship with the Spirit, if there is any affection and mercy, verse 2, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Doesn't sound like the 21st century, does it? Consider others as more important than yourselves. Verse 4, everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. We see three things this morning. First, we see God's desire for church harmony. Primarily in verse 2, we see it specified so powerfully. We see God's desire for church harmony, for church unity. Verse 2 tells us, as Paul speaks with great earnestness, that we think the same way. Some versions say, that we be like-minded, saying the same thing. In other words, we're to cultivate a disposition of unity. Now, understand clearly, we're not asking that you always believe the same thing about everything. There's a great difference between unity and uniformity. Unity comes from something within, while uniformity comes from pressure without. You live in a totalitarian culture and uh, environment. You are told you must believe the same thing. You must do things a certain way. I've traveled to communist countries 
And I remember one of the first times I traveled to a former communist country, I remember how the people were so hungry for the gospel. They said, we've been told for 40 years there is no God. We knew it was not true. Tell us about him. But everybody's taught to think the same way, act the same way. North Korea is a prime example, extreme example of that even now. But I've traveled in Vietnam. I've traveled, uh, did I say Vietnam? I've also traveled in Cuba. And let me tell you, those people are told, you think this, you do this, you act this way, sounding a little bit like what's happening in America in these days. But it is not uniformity that we're seeking in this church. It is a unity that comes from inside. And that's what Paul talks about in verse 2. He says this main reason comes from three different reasons. He said, please fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, having the same feelings. No, excuse me, four, focusing on one goal. And so he is calling for us to be far deeper and more vital in agreement in our spirit than in some kind of exterior requirement. Indeed, that's God's desire for us. It was God's desire then. It is God's desire now. I pray that you will have the same love. Think the same way. Share the same feelings. Focus on the same goal. Now, it's not easy to get people to agree on any of those things. But we're talking about what the gospel really teaches us, and that is something we ought to agree upon. I've worked with Baptists my whole life. Somebody said, what's it like, Frank? I said, well, it's kind of like herding cats. A uh, long time ago when I watched the Super Bowl, there was a commercial, I think it was an insurance company, and it was about herding cats. Had these cowboys herding. It was the best commercial. I tried to get them to let us use it in Southern Baptist. They wouldn't let us use it. It was the best commercial I've ever seen in my life. These cowboys come in with band-aids. All of them said, you may think cows are hard, but let me just tell you, trying to herd them cats, that's really something else. Well, that's the way it is working with people. I remember another story, a pastor of yesteryear, back when you had keyholes in doors. You ever seen a house like that? This pastor had a woman, and they didn't get along. And she caused him trouble, and he caused her trouble, I guess. And finally, he said, we got to get over this. I'm going to go to her house. We're going to get this right. Well, he knocked on the door. He knew she was there. She wouldn't answer the door. He knocked, he knocked, he knocked, called her name. She wouldn't answer, wouldn't answer. So he did what a pastor should never do. He got down on his knee, and he looked in the keyhole. And guess what was looking right back at him? Her big old eyeball looking straight at him. He thought real quickly, he said, Dear lady, this is the first time we've ever seen eye to eye on anything. <laughs> I like that. But you see, God is saying here in this second verse of the second chapter, He wants us to see eye to eye. Someone said in the Greek, it's almost like a, uh, it's a phrase where a clock in a clock shop, every clock is set at the same time, and they all go off at the same time. That's the way it ought to be with God's people, living together, loving each other, having the same goal, ha thinking the same way, having the same feelings about the lost and about what we need to do. 
What is God's will for our church? It is harmony. And again, some of you are going to come to me this week. You tell us we got a problem? No, I'm not. I'm just preaching the gospel. And next, we see the reasons for disharmony. Primarily, this is found in verse 3. Now, we're going to see in our ongoing study of the book of Philippians that Paul faced a number of challenges among the Philippian church. Though, I've told you before, it was his favorite church, good people, but they were people. And so we're going to see over in, in chapter 3 that he faced uh, uh, really opposition from false teachers. Chapter 4, we will see him talking about a couple of disagreeing members that were making his life miserable. So Paul wrote that nothing should be done, verse 3, out of selfish dis, uh, conceit. Nothing should be done out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important. The word translating selfish ambition does mean contention and faction. Don't break up into groups. I spoke to our deacons last, whenever it was. I said, guys, as our church grows, it's going to break up into small groups. You may not like that. Well, you'll just have to get over it. A church that goes over 100 becomes, whether you like it or not, a congregation of congregations. It's natural. Older people might gather with older people. Younger people might gather with younger people. Singles might. I don't know. It's just varies. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as those groups stay fluid and loving toward one another and count others' needs. But I'm telling you what, I've had it with people in churches saying, well, what I think is more important than what you think. And you better do what I want or I'll stop giving my money. You know what I've said to people in the past when they say that to me? If it's your money, take it and go. Bye. I don't tolerate that. But it's okay to have groups that love each other and focus on common needs as long as they are flexible and loving toward others. Oh, my friends, we cannot be a church where we break into factions, and that's what happened in the Philippian church. It was called a partisan spirit that engendered strife. Selfish ambition is an undue regard for our own needs, and I'm going to tell you it is the essential principle of sin that what I need and what I want is more important than anything else. It's the essential component of self-centered sin. We all have needs. We all have desires. But we must all rec always recognize other people do too. I told some of you the story. I'll never forget it. It, it shook me to my core. I'll tell it again because it's one of those that's worth telling again. I was pastoring my first church. I'm not going to tell you the name of it because you make fun of me. And, and, and I don't like being made fun of. Okay, I don't mind being made fun of. First Baptist Church, very exclusive of Possum Kingdom Lake, Texas. Yes, I said what I just said. Possum Kingdom Lake, Texas. Go ahead and laugh. I don't care. I don't care. It was fun. I went down to try to get some mentoring from a pastor of a larger church in the county seat of Mineral Wells. Well, it actually wasn't the county seat in my place, but a nearby county seat. 
Bobby Moore, wonderful man. I'd go see him, and I'd try to get to him help me learn things because I was 23, young and dumb, pastoring for the first time. It was God bless those people is all I got to say. But I'll never forget, he was kind of shaken that day. He said, Frank, you're not going to believe what happened. I said, what happened? He said, well, we just had one of those business meetings. I said, uh-oh. He said, now, Frank, in this church, he said, I'm not the moderator. I just sit in the pew like everybody else. I said, okay. He said, I was sitting right about there in the pew, and he said, there was a man behind me who was having a spell. If you're not from the deep south, you may not understand what a spell is, but this man was having a fit. Some had happened. A lady had left some money when she died to the church. He, this was not his first marriage, nor hers. Both their other spouses had died, but he had been married to this lady for a few years. And he said, it's my money, even though it was her money, and she gave it to the church to be spent as the church deemed wise. He said, it's my money, and I will tell you how it is supposed to be spent. Because in essence, what was he saying? Because what I think is more important than the whole body. Bobby said, Frank, I was trying to calm him down. I reached back and tapped his knee and said, calm down, calm down. But he just got madder and madder. And he finally said, <laughs> stood up in the pew and said, if I'm wrong, may God strike me dead. I said, now, Bobby, that's a serious thing to say. He said, within 90 seconds, Frank, I was standing over his dead body in the pew. His heart literally exploded. He dropped dead right there on the third pew of the First Baptist Church of Mineral Wells, Texas. I said, bet that business meeting didn't have any problem after that, did it? <laughs> Self-centeredness is the epitome of sin. Paul says it's the heart of every problem we have in the family, the heart of every problem we have in the church. He said, do not live that way. He said, don't do it. Christians are fractious and factious, breaking the factions, when they believe that their opinion is more important than anyone else, when they try to advance their own group above the needs of any other group, when they think they can add to their own importance by denigrating someone else. Paul says, don't do it. That's the problem. Unity requires that the needs of others, but primarily the needs of Christ, reign supreme. The evil one laughs at every expression of discontent within the fellowship. And my friends, let's, not, let's covenant together not to waste one ounce, one calorie of spiritual energy on disunity. There are lost people that need to be one to Christ. There are little boys and girls within driving distance of this church house, and I mean short driving distance, who have never heard the gospel, who are in homes that are not loving them and helping them, not protecting them. We've got much to do. Let's not waste one ounce of spiritual energy on disunity. Third, quickly, look at verse 1. We see the power for church harmony. The power for church harmony. It resides within every true follower of Christ. Paul reasoned in verse 1 that since 
they knew Christ, they would manifest these graces. And what are these graces that he mentions? The if, as I said in verse 1, does not express uncertainty, but is merely used in view of the fact. If this is true, and he's using it as a rhetorical expression, yes, it is definitely true, then please do this. The first basis for unity for which Paul appealed was the basis of their encouragement by being united in Christ. If there is any encouragement in being united in Christ, and the definite answer is yes, there is. There ought to be a strong bond of unity in any church where the people in the church are born again, true born again followers of Christ. Disunity occurs when someone is not. Asking the question, are you in Christ? Do you know him? When everybody joined, anybody joins this church, I ask them to fill out a testimony sheet. Some of you have done it. Some of you are still working on it. I want to know in your words how you know Jesus. Now I say I want it because someday I'm going to do your funeral. And it's a powerful thing to pull out that sheet and use in your own words how you came to know Christ. But it's just a good thing for you to do. For you to be able to express how you know that you know that there is an encouragement in Christ, that you belong to Christ. Are we in Christ? Second basis upon which Paul expressed his appeal for unity was if there is any consolation of love. This literally means comfort of love. This word that's used there for love in this beautiful second, the first verse of the second chapter of Philippians is the Greek word. You know it. It is the Greek word agape. I used it in the wedding ceremony that I did yesterday. Agape love is God's kind of love. And so he says that there's any comfort from this love, God's love to us and our love for each other. Is there any comfort of this love? Let me tell you something. When you're with a true believer and you're friends with a true believer, that person loves you without end limit condition. That's God's kind of love. And that's possible only for a born-again believer. Possible only. A lost person can never love with agape love. They will never love you without end limit or condition. That's true only for a believer. Is there any encouragement of being in Christ? Is there any comfort from his love the third basis was fellowship is there any fellowship with the spirit he is talking here about the indwelling power of the Holy Ghost that comes into every true born again believer but he's also referring to the fact that they shared in the spiritual graces and gifts given by the Holy Spirit of God so we have to ask ourselves are we in the fellowship of the spirit are we walking in the spirit and then fourth, he says, if there's any affection, any mercy, if there's any unity, tenderness, and compassion at all, for God's sake, be unified together. And we know the answer is yes, there is true unity, true tenderness, true compassion in a church that is exhibiting the Spirit of Christ. Truly, any four of these are reason enough for unity. But when you add them all together, it's a powerful call for God's people to walk 
with one feeling, one goal, one mindset. Well, that's what God wants from us today, dear friends. I hope that you're actively a part of the solution and will never be a part of any problem, but that we will say, okay, God, we're together in you. We're together in you. We may have disagreements. We may disagree about certain things, but let me tell you, at the end of the day, we come together and say, you're my sister, you're my brother. We're going to work together because there's a lost world that needs the gospel. Do you see eye to eye with each other? Remember? Keyhole. That's the title of the message. We need to see eye to eye. One goal, and that's to see lost men, women, boys, and girls come to Christ. Pray with me. Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word. Thank you for this time we've had together. God, help us to always focus what really matters for eternity. Not to be caught up in the things of this world. To be prideful about things that really will not matter for eternity. But to always focus and concentrate on the spiritual matters you have for us long term. Father, we pray for that. We need that. In Jesus' precious name, amen.